So our reading today is from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? Saul hears about it. He will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. He arrived in Bethlehem, and the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Aninadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Then uh, Jesse then had Shemaiah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We'll not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. The Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramea. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning, friends. It is so good to be here. I don't even have to read my own scripture. It's really nice. Thank you. Um, Well, like I was so kindly introduced, my name is Jenna, and I'm the associate pastor at Awaken. Um, So Dan, who was here a few weeks ago, you heard from, and I know that uh, Micah has taught here before, so that's kind of my people that I come from. I really like them most days. Uh, A little bit about me, I grew up here in Minnesota, currently I live in North Minneapolis uh, with some dear friends of mine who have an almost one-year-old named Jocelyn, I call her my baby roommate because she is, and it also feels like one day it could be a TLC show, Um, so that's like my plan B. Would you watch my baby roommate? (laughs) I I would. (laughs) Um, So I always talk about her because, you know, I can. Uh, I am just so thrilled to be here this morning and and so honored by the invitation, and you guys are really kind. Um, I love that you use the lectionary. Uh, In all of my years of church, I have never been a part of a community that has actually um, used the lectionary, and so it was kind of a fun thing for me to use that as my entrance here. And just thinking, like, there are communities all across the world wrapping themselves in the same story this morning. 
and how beautiful and, and connected that is. Um, and it made me wonder that in each community where the word of God is coming, like what are all of the different angles taking? What are the par- particular things communities need to hear? And in that vein, uh, I wanted to start this morning by sharing something that maybe isn't very typical for a guest speaker to start with, um, but I tend to keep it real, and I feel like, is that okay here? Okay. Uh, If not, well, shoot, it's going to be a long 25 minutes. Um, I really, really struggled with this passage. Um, Usually, when I prepare... Uh, the question or the thing uh, shows itself almost immediately. Uh, But this time, I struggled. And for weeks, I was working on this. I think I wrote maybe three different sermons, which is overkill and which I don't have time for. And I don't know, it feels like there's this added pressure when you're the guest preacher that you have to bring the deepest thoughts Uh, And be super funny. (laughs) Uh, And I just struggled. And so literally, Friday afternoon, I am sitting in the library, banging my head against the wall. And I don't know if you guys have ever been in those times where I'm just fixated on this thing, and I can't let it go. And for whatever reason, it doesn't feel right to continue to move forward. And my reasoning for not moving forward is that it doesn't feel right, and it just feels stupid. So I'm sitting in the library, and I'm pounding my head against the wall, and for the 100th time, I say, God, just what do I need to see? And then I saw it. So I started over. All of that said, this better be good. (laughs) Uh, So we're in a season of Lent, and I I love how um, you all have been talking about it, that it's the journey home. Uh, That Lent is when we wander in the wilderness and name what we're hungry for. Lent is the season in which we say no to something in order to say yes to something. And for me, this Lenten season, uh, how that has manifested is in seeing different. Lent is helping me to see different. Um, So I'm about to confess something. I am that person And I am doing the Whole30. Does anyone know what the Whole30 is? You cut out, I see that hand. You cut out sugar, you cut out dairy, my two favorite things. You cut out grains, and you cut out legumes. Is that how you say it? Legumes. Um, So what's left to eat? We don't know. Uh, and, And truth be told, in every sense of the word, this practice... Of, of saying no to the things I reach for, to comfort. Um, I'm seeing different. I am seeing what I am hungry for. I'm seeing what I'm not hungry for. I am seeing uh, that I use food to comfort and numb myself. And that physical hunger uh, is also revealing, huh, Maybe I, I don't trust God there. Um, and maybe I don't actually know if God is as good as God says. And wow, oh, my heart is just so hard. Sometimes I just want God to leave me alone so that I can do it myself. 
And that is what Lent is for, right? It's really fun. (laughs) And so, friends, our passage this morning is inviting us into asking this question. What do you need to see? So I wanted to start with a few comments on seeing. And I know this is probably repeat information for you. Uh, One possible way of reading the Old Testament is to look at the first usage of a word and how that particular context uh, sort of creates the trajectory for every other time it's used. And as you follow this word and its trajectory, the depth of meaning uh, continues to grow. And and how it was explained here is all of a sudden showing up 15 chapters later when it shows up. And so in Genesis 1, the Hebrew word for seeing, ra'ah, shows up for the first time. So a little birdie told me, and by little birdie I mean Steve, that you all do all play questions. So I am wondering if anyone remembers who the first one who sees is in Genesis 1. God. God. Nailed it. (laughs) Uh, And this is maybe extra credit Do you remember what it is that God sees? The light in the darkness. I heard it over there. So God sees the light in the darkness. Uh, In Genesis 1, it says that that God said, let there be light, and there was light, and he sees light in the darkness, and he draws out the light, and he calls it good. And as I have been studying this word and, and sitting with this word, um, maybe like a, a, an easy definition um, for our purposes this morning is that when God sees something, God sees something for all that it is and all that it can be. And so when God sees something, that is what he sees. And so I wanted to have this today as kind of the lens by which we move forward this morning. And to continue to parse out that idea, I want to zoom out and I want to start with uh, some historical and contextual things that will be helpful for us. Um, So we are in 1 Samuel. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel are fascinating accounts of Israel's history. Uh, Israel is in a really interesting place um, where they are transitioning to a monarchy. And so Israel is going from being ruled under the authority of God as a tribal community and the judges that God appoints, that's kind of their leadership structure, to a nation, which comes with all sorts of political implications and new threats and power dynamics. And so in the leadership structure of these two ways of organizing, um, God appoints judges uh, when they're... uh, as a tribal community, and now that they're a nation, uh, it's kings that rule, and how kings are appointed is actually through lineage, so sons, which means that it is terribly important, the transition of power. So what one king is handing on and what another is inheriting, that transitioning is so terribly important. And so in 1 Samuel 8, Israel asks for a king, And in a sense, what they're asking for is to be like the other nations. And if you remember that that when Israel first became a thing, when Israel first became a people, uh, Israel was called to be a set-apart people, distinct, because that is true of their God. 
and the intent of all that, distinct in all of the best ways, whereas they receive the blessing of their God, they bless others. And so if you think about Israel transitioning to a monarchy, if that is true, the set-apartness and distinctiveness, if that is true about the essence of who they are, well, of course they wouldn't abandon that part. And so when they, when they transition to this monarchy, that set-apartness and distinctness is, is still a part of it. And how that typically manifests is that Israel continues to follow Torah. They're under the authority of Torah and God, and that is true for their kings. And so the king answers to the authority of God. So Saul is the first king of Israel, and it starts pretty well. Um, Saul is chosen and anointed, and he seems to understand that what Israel's king looks like is distinct. Uh, We meet him for the first time in chapter 10. He is tending to his father's donkeys, (laughs) like you do. Uh, And the text says that Saul was a hottie. (laughs) Seriously, tall and hot. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, lucky. (laughs) Um, So uh, Samuel shows up on the scene, and uh, he's actually referred to in this passage as the seer, which should, like, make your antenna go up. Uh, And the word of the Lord comes to Samuel, and God says, you are going to encounter uh, Saul, and you are going to anoint him. He is Israel's first king. Um, They will rule over them because God looked upon his people, and he heard their cry. And guess what word is used there? Ra'ah. God saw his people and he heard their cry. And so I will give you this king. So remember, God sees the light in the darkness. God sees this request not only for what it is, but what it can be. And he hears them and he brings this king. And I think that God and Samuel both saw something in Saul. The text describes Saul as Good, tov, and I know you all know that word. Tov is this idea that, that once again shows up in Genesis 1, and it's, it's generative. It's this idea of life that gives life that gives life, and when someone is described or something is described as tov, it means that it embodies this generative nature, and Saul is called good, tov. And as Saul's story continues, it becomes more and more clear that incident after incident after incident, he just can't see. It's as if he can't see what his role is and what God's role is and how those things go together. It's as if he has lost sight of who he is as Israel's king. And it leads to him losing the kingdom. Which brings us to our passage today. So when our passage opens, it's this terribly significant thing where God has just said, no, Saul is no longer the king. And we find Samuel in mourning. Because here's the reality. Samuel's the one left with the fallout. He's the one casting the vision for this whole thing. He is the one that is helping this nation transition into a monarchy. And all of a sudden, like there's no king. So what do you do? 
He is the one having to hold all of this. And so, of course, he's mourning. And then God says, how long? And truth be told, when I, when I first read that, this defiance rose up in me. And I'm like, he is grieving. There, things have happened. Let the man mourn. Um, and yet, uh, maybe God wasn't using this rude tone that I was hearing. Um, Maybe it was, oh, Samuel, how long? Because the story isn't over. Like, there's more. And so I, I, it's time. It's time. And it, it's so fascinating. So Samuel goes, and, and uh, he goes to the house of Jesse, and, and he meets all these sons, which I just think is the weirdest picture, <laughs> like men being paraded in front of him. And he's like, no. <laughs> No. <laughs> Do you have any more sons? <laughs> uh, but again, in this passage, uh, there is this element of seeing and sight, and, and really what it means to see as God sees. And so when Samuel encounters Eliab, the oldest son, uh, the text says Samuel saw him. There is something remarkable about, about what he's seeing in this person. And, and he says, surely this is the Lord's anointed. And God says, no, he's not. And then we come to verse 7, which I think is this statement uh, that's being made about what it means to see as God sees. Uh, it says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And in this sentence alone, ra'ah is used four times. This verse is talking about what and how God sees, which seems to be distinct from how humans see. And whatever that is, uh, it, it seems as though uh, that idea is found in the heart. Um, and so it's important to note that the Hebrew uh, understanding of heart is much more than an organ. Uh, it's actually more referent of the essence of something or the inner being of something. So when God sees, he sees the inner being or the essence of something or someone. And here... It's as if Samuel is being invited into the process to see as God sees. And the question, as he is uh, seeing all of these candidates and potential kings, will you see the essence of this person as you discern who is next? And I can't help but think about the reality of this moment. Samuel is told Go to this house, you will encounter these sons, and you are to anoint one of them. He encounters seven sons. Seven is important in the biblical text. Seven has this um, idea of completeness or wholeness. Uh, so Samuel sees all seven sons. And ironically, eight uh, is, is the mark of a new order. So David is the eighth son, which I just... It's another sermon. I just I think that's interesting that David is the new order um, and the new king. 
So anyways, he sees all of these sons, and I just wonder if you have ever been in that moment where you feel like you heard something, and you, you feel like you're in the right place, and all of a sudden, all of the action stops, and you don't know where to put your foot. And I'm so struck by the fact that Samuel um, does what I feel like I need to be reminded of all the time, and he just asks a question, do you have any more sons? And sure enough, David, David enters the scene, the person who changes everything. God saw David, the one who was not even considered worthy enough to be in the room. And I think it's such an interesting juxtaposition that's happening right now in terms of how David and David, or David's father and David's brothers can't see him because he's not even invited when Samuel the holy man comes. He's not even allowed to be in the room. They cannot see the essence and inner being of who he is, and yet God sees there was something in him that needed to be seen and it somehow qualified him for this role. We are at the very beginning of it all. And again, I can't help but think of Samuel, who was the one who had a choice to step into God's way of seeing, to walk into the implications of what it actually means to see as God sees. Because the truth is, is that when we say yes to the invitation to see as God sees, to see the light in the darkness, to see something not only for what it is, but what it can be, it will require something of us. The way I have been um, thinking about this is that it requires some sort of flexibility. Uh, we are so certain of what we think is true about something or someone. And it seems as though if we choose to emulate our friend Samuel, and we choose to say yes to the invitation to want to see as God sees, we have to shift. Because God sees possibility. And I acknowledge, I mean, we don't have the full picture. We don't. And yet, I wonder if that is the invitation to at least practice, to at least try for that to be your heart. So to bring all of this together and to land all of this weird abstract language about seeing as God sees uh, into real life, uh, I have been a pastor for, carry the one, minus seven months. <laughs> for the most part, I have no idea what I'm doing. Don't tell anyone how to awaken that. <laughs> uh, but there are some things that I'm like, oh, I can do that. I can do that. Like writing a sermon, for example. And these past few weeks of me just wrestling and banging my head against the wall, 
It's as if I had to shift <laughs> um, the frustration and hitting the wall. I didn't quite know how to hold it. And yet, it feels like this stupid Lenten practice of not reaching for the things that immediately comforted me, uh, it made me see. It made me see that, because uh, if I were to get really uh, honest here, man, I've never preached in front of a different congregation before. And, wow, I just really wanted to prove myself. And, huh, you know, there's this thing about being a woman doing this where you're like, oh, don't be too vulnerable because it's a little cliche. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, could I see that? Could I see that the thing that I was fixated on to, like, bring this provocative thing was just, ah, not needed. And then engaging that process and and seeing and then shifting, um, it was as as if God was saying, oh, Jen, sweetie, you are nobody's pastor when you speak from that place. And so I started over. And it cost something. It meant I didn't have a day off. And yet... What is the word for the community? So I hold that out for you. Because you don't have to be a pastor uh, to experience something like that. And to be up against the wall and to need new eyes for something. That is a part of what it means to be in relationship with God. And so, for you, a question to maybe hold. What is it that you need to see as God sees? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it is that you are actually grieving and angry right now, and you need to name that. Maybe it's that the anger, it's time to leave. Maybe it's that your role in A refugee crisis is going to ask something of you in this world. Maybe there is a call in your life that you have been running from. I don't know what it is. And so, as we enter into this time of silence together, I would invite you to hold that question. What is it that you need to see as God sees? Pray with me. God, thank you that you are just so much more than we know. Thank you that you invite us into new ways of seeing and new ways of being in the world. And the Holy Spirit, I ask that you would do the work that you do of revealing and comforting us in the process. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.